real quick. Thank you again for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, all right, cool. Whenever you're ready to go, we can get started. Why did you say something? That it's not like I'm busy. Oh yeah. <laughs> how did the uh, how the recording session go yesterday with the lines done? Uh, great. Nice. Good. We we uh, yeah, good. It, that thing's that, that thing's kind of moving right along pretty quickly. I'm pretty happy. with yeah, well, I mean, I listen to it. I really love it. I think you guys are doing a great job, and you know. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you ready to get this started? I'm ready. Cool. So, thank you for coming on. This is the Comedy Heroes podcast. Pretty much, I bring on comedians that I really like, and we just talk about their process and their stand up and their, you know, route in their route in their stand up career. Oh, right on. Cool, yeah. Man. So, when did you I'll when did you start? What? I'll try to remember that stuff. Yeah. When did you start doing uh, stand-up? Uh, 2006. Okay. Why, why did you choose it? Well, I've always, the thing is, I always loved stand-up, and I was always a huge fan of stand-up all growing up. Because mm -hmm. uh, I didn't start doing stand-up until I was 35. Yeah. And uh, I had kids young. I'm married. I have kids. And my boys are growing up now, though. James is 30, and Jonathan's 25. Oh, wow. But I had them young. Mm -hmm. And so, and my father was in the entertainment industry, and I knew that there was a lot of time that he wasn't spending at home, and he missed a lot of stuff. Like he was, like the day after I was born, he left on tour for like three months. Oh, really? So he missed a like a lot of stuff. Like he missed first walks and first words, and and I didn't want to miss any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I kind of put that on hold for a while to to you know just to raise kids and stuff. And I opened a martial I opened a martial arts school in like '92. And I, that, that's pretty much how I put food on the table. Of course, my wife was working as well. And then when the kids were, I believe they were 11 and 15, I finally decided to go for what I really wanted to do and, and, and start doing stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And they're a little, you know, John, John, uh, James was driving already. Jonathan was about to hit junior high school, so. Yeah, it was the right time. Yeah, yeah. Where did you do, uh, where did you do your first set? At the Ha Ha Cafe. Oh, nice. I love uh, that place. You do? Yeah, that's where I started too. I was 14. Yeah. Got up there on an open mic and just... That's crazy. You were 14 years old when you started? Yeah, I hit my four-year anniversary a few months ago, which is like, it's crazy to be 18. This is the, the only thing I can really say that I've done for a long time besides baseball. Yeah, right. Well, four uh, years, that's college. Yeah. Uh, so when you're, when you're doing stand-up, what what do you what's in going through your head before you get on stage when you're on stage and after you're on stage? Before I go on stage, uh, hold on. Um, let me try something real quick. There right, we go. Before I go on stage, I don't really. It's, it's weird. It's more of an anxiety thing. I'm not, and I'm anxious not because I'm I'm, I'm nervous to do it, mm -hmm. but because I can't wait to get up on stage. I just love being up there. Like it's just get. I want it to be my turn all the time. And uh, so before I'm, before I'm on stage, I'm I've, usually I'm looking at the, the room. You'll notice the comedians rarely watch the comic on stage. They always watch the audience. Yeah. Because we're trying to, we, you know, we're trying to read the room. We're trying to figure out, oh, what's a good way to start? Because I'm, I'm not like a guy that has a, a scripted routine that I do exactly the same every time. Mm -hmm. I like to open up and kind of read, read the room. So I've, I'm usually I'm anxious to get on and I'm watching the room and trying to figure out what are these guys waiting for? You know, what are these guys looking for tonight? You know, cause it's going to be different in every room. 
Yeah. And do you find that, you know, some rooms like the comedy store, the OR is consistently the same type of room with the people and like the rooms tend to be the same or is it always a different audience? The, 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 the rooms are different. Like the, the improv has a very different vibe than the comedy store. Comedy store has a very different vibe than the laugh factory. And those are the three main right there. In the, right. The laugh there. But the comedy store original room, there's something about that room that's just, it's, it sounds so corny to say, but it's like magic. It's like a magical room because when you're a paid regular and you're, do, and you're booked on the actual shows, not doing the mics and the outside promoted shows and stuff like that, that room is amazing. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, the Comedy Store original room is one of the hardest clubs, hardest rooms in the country. That's true to an extent. Once you're in and you're getting those prime spots, especially now with the, with how popular stand-up is. I mean, you could, there's certain guys that can go up on stage and just say, hey guys, hi, and they get a huge applause, you know? Right. In a way, becoming a lot, become a lot easier room. When I first started, when I first got past, it was a different kind of vibe, you know? You were, you'd be on stage and there'd be like eight people in the audience and four of them were homeless. Like right. it was just different, different kind of vibe. But now it's just like, it's like the mecca of comedy now. It's like that's everybody's going there to see live comedy because they know if you just if you just hang out at the comedy store, you're gonna run into famous people at the bar. Right. That kind of room, you know. So now it's like where it's where it used to it used to feel like I can go into the OR and, and like I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to work on some new stuff tonight. I don't feel that anymore. I literally feel like, oh I gotta bring I gotta bring my A game tonight because Burr just crushed and and Valia just crushed and Morin and Santino, these guys. So now I got to go up and I got to fucking crush, you know? You don't want to be the guy in that group that had the bad set. So I'm right. bringing my game every time at that stage. So then what rooms in LA do you like to go to to work out material in? Aha. Yeah. Aha Cafe. And then I have a room. There's a room in Long Beach that I would do every Tuesday night, you know, the Harvells? Yeah. Harvells is one of my, my little workout rooms. Okay. Kind of like a home home room for me where I could go. I could just fuck around. I could, cause that used to be the store. Like there were nights at, in the OR where I would go up and I would speak, I would do my entire set in a thick accent <laughs> and, and never, wow. and never address it. Yeah. No, I did one night. I did my set in the OR lying down. Oh really? Then I did a set. I, I mean, all kinds of where you'd ask one of the things that uh, Chris D'Elia and Brent and I, we used to challenge each other back in the day. We would say, you have to get, let's say, 18-wheeler. You have to be able to take that phrase and throw it into your set somehow. Find a way to put 18-wheeler in your set. Or we would say, you got to go up there and talk about something that happened today and make it a bit. Something that actually happened today and go up and make it sound like a polished bit, you know? Yeah. And that kind of stuff we did in the OR, but not, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, that stuff helped you grow as a comic because it made you oh, think more and made you be more on your feet and on the fly. Oh, for sure. And it, it helped that I was surrounded by monsters. Like, the guys that I came up with, I mean, if you didn't keep up at the table at the diner, you know what? You're done. I mean, think about this. Sitting at a table with Dalia. Brent Morin, Joe Coy. Some nights it would like, of course, Callen's always there. And these guys are smart, fast, and funny fucking guys. So surrounding yourself with those kind of people also makes you better. Not even just on stage, 
but I'll skate. Right. They're the funniest dudes. Yeah, it's a crazy class that came out of that early 2000s era. That especially yeah. at the store now, it feels like every every uh, spot is pretty much from them from that kind of era. Or you're gonna get you know Bill Burr dropping in, Sebastian will come in, and all those guys. Yep. But that that early 2000s class, like 05, 06, 07. I mean, think about those guys. There's, you got you got me, you got Dalia, Brent Morin, Santino. Fahim Anwar, like there's some strong, powerful. Yeah. You know, and Melissa Villasenor was in our little class. Right. Is she passed at the store? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. I think she's unbelievably talented as well with yeah. voices and everything. Yeah. Um, when So what's it like, you know, we're talking about LA playing all these rooms. What's it like when you'll be in LA versus New York versus DC versus, you know, more rural areas? Is there a difference in the crowds? Well, you say New York and D.C., those, those are the two. Those two cities are freaking amazing for stand-up. Uh, New York is – I love doing stand-up in New York. The clubs are great. I'm a paid regular at New York Comedy Club. I'm a paid regular at Gotham Comic Strip and uh, stand-up New York. And um, those crowds are awesome. They love good comedy. I always say this is the, the difference between L.A. crowds and, and New York crowds, in my opinion, is L.A. comedy crowds are fame fans they're fans of famous people mm -hmm. they want to see famous guys on stage whereas in new york they just want to see funny people they don't care they just want to see how they just they want a funny show right like in la you could be crushing i mean i could literally have the audience in tears crushing and they'll still be like but when's sebastian coming on when's when's chappelle gonna be here you know they don't know most of the time chappelle goes up and he's just talking he's working out new shit you know mm -hmm. dc is a great comedy but dc improv is one of the best comedy clubs. that's what i've heard it's incredible i love that room I, I almost recorded my album there i decided to do it at the the comedy store down in la jolla but i almost did it there it's such a it, that room is so freaking good i've never had a bad set of that what 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 do you think it is about that room that just makes it so good it's just... there's so much that goes into it first of all the club the club is ran really well by the, the staff and they are, and the comics are treated well. So of course they like to keep going. That's one of the things that tricks me out when I fight, when I hear about and I deal with club uh, owners and bookers that treat the comics like shit. It's like, why are you doing that? I mean, right. now, there's so many places where I'm, I'm done. I'm not going back there mm -hmm. because of the treatment. But this DC improv, it's that the room is dark. All of the focus is on the stage low ceiling and it's the way it's set up every seat is a good seat and the acoustics are amazing and people that go there know they're going to get a good show so they just keep coming right because that's what i've heard through you know stories is that it's one of the hardest clubs outside of la and new york to get booked at like either the headline or just to open for a comic oh it's it's not easy man it's not easy that's how i got in there i got in there because i opened for delia there once and then I think two or three times Brent and I did it together to the point where then it was like, Jason, when are you coming back? You know, you kind of prove yourself that way, you right. know, which is, that's interesting because I, opening for Brent is always a weird thing because he used to open for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Brent used to be my opener. Then this is how the industry works. Brent booked a television show. Brent got a, that TV show on Dateable. Mm -hmm. So then he leveled up. 
and he started getting these great gigs, but he's like, I owe you big time. So I'm going to bring you out and put money in your pocket to come out with me. So that's awesome. just kind of, yeah. that's awesome how that happened. I didn't know that story because Brent, I don't know if I've told you this, but you know, he was the first comic that was, that is notable to ever kind of come up to me and be like, you're good kid. Like just keep doing what oh, you're doing. Brent's great about that. Brent is so great about tapping young talent and then sitting down with him. Literally, he will sit down with people whenever we're out of these cities. BC's a good comic. I'm the same way. But Brent will sit with you for hours. Oh, yeah. that's So I was doing, when I was 16, no, I was 15, I was doing The Laugh Factory with John Campanelli. I wasn't ready Can't. to do The Laugh Factory at all, but he, he booked me. I did my five seven, five, seven minutes, I don't remember. I'm walking back. It was a point that I was so young that they made me leave the room because I couldn't be in there. Yep. And then as I was walking out, I got a, my, someone tapped my shoulder and it was like, no, come with me. And I was looking at this guy and it was Brent. And we talked for yep. literally three hours just about comedy and about yep. me and about him. And it was like, it was one of those moments. Hey, I'll tell you this. Here's why he's that way. Because that's how I was with him. When Brent came along, I brought him under my wing kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Delia and I were running around together for some months because when I first the first time I ever did stand up my first night doing stand up I was on a show with Chris and he had only been doing stand up for like six months mm -hmm. so he's like six months ahead of me and we we immediately hit it off and started hanging out and doing and doing all these shitty rooms together and and then one night we're at the bar at the haha -ha, the old location did you ever do the old location yeah at uh yeah like down the street right yeah, we're, we're still at the old location, and, Brent and Chris and I are at the bar. We're bullshitting. We're having a blast with our other buddy, Andy Kozell, who's a funny comedian who used to be the bartender at the Ha Ha. Mm -hmm. We're chopping it up, and this kid literally taps me on my shoulder. And I turn around. I was like, what's up? And it's Brent. He's just an 18-year-old. Yeah. And he's like, and he literally goes, <laughs> it sounds like something out of a movie. He goes, can I hang out with you guys? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. And then him and Chris got into a weird thing where they thought they didn't like each other. Oh, really? Chris was like, I didn't think you liked me. And Brent was like, I don't think you like me. And I was like, both of you guys are being fucking idiots. You're being weird. Let's go eat. And then we would go to the diner. And then for like the next, gosh, four or five years, four years or so, the three of us just ran around together doing bar shows, pool halls, just chopping it up and just really getting good. Getting that's... good. Doing bar shows and challenging each other. Right. I would, awesome. I would, we would always go to these crazy bar shows and I would say, I'm gonna get the entire room to be silent. Cause that's hard to do in a bar. Yeah. I go watch, I will get the entire room silent. And I would do it halfway through the set. Finally, I'd get them on, their, on the edge of their seat and then I would get to saying something and I'd stop to get ready for the rest of the bit. And the entire place was like, and I would look back at Chris and Brent and I would just go, this motherfucker, you know? I mean, from what that sounds like, that sounds like the most fun ever. That sounds like the times where, it, like, the grinding to get to the place that you're at always, to me at oh. least, sounds like the most fun part about stand-up. The, 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 the thing that where we were lucky is that when you first start, and you know this now, you do some pretty horrible gigs. Miserable fucking gigs. But they always were fun because we had each other. Right. We were, we were in a shitty Motel 6 but I was with Brent, you know what I mean? And we were laughing and having a blast. We were at a shitty bar where Chris and I did this bar in like the Inland Empire. And they had like chicken wire around the 
stage so people threw shit at you like those kind of gigs but i was with chris and we were having a laugh and we were like let's get the fuck out of here because while i was on stage some guy goes let's take it outside i'm like yeah we're gonna take it outside yeah and i get off stage and chris was like let's get the fuck out of here you know but it was fun because we had each other yeah you know it got a little weird not weird a little harder for me for a little while because when chris and brent booked undateable i was still grinding mm-hmm. i was still, but then it became oh it's just me by myself now because they had rehearsal tape nights then they had a tour with the show and all this stuff so there was a little while where i was like kind of on my own and it was like fuck, i miss those guys but then as soon as the show got picked up and started things started happening i mean i think there was like three or four or five different episodes that i was literally this close to being on that they were writing character they were trying to write characters for me and then the, then they would change last minute and like, the uh creator of undateable didn't want to give me a small part. He wanted it to be a big part. Yeah. He's like, no, no, Jason doesn't, we're not giving Jason a big part. And then by, by the time they started figuring something out, the show got canceled. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it works though sometimes. It's yeah. just yeah. It's the industry, you know, things come and go and it's always changing. You never, like I, in the beginning, would get so excited about the smallest things. Now, you could, I legit had people go, yo, CBS wants to pick up your pilot. And I'm, and I literally go, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to get excited about that. You know? Right. I'll get excited when we're on set shooting it. That's when I'm going to get excited. Exactly. Cause yeah, things can go away so quickly, but then things can come, come in so quickly. It's like, you just always yeah. have to anticipate anything. Yeah. And I'm like that with everything now. Like people were like, dude, how excited are you that you and Brent are doing a podcast? And I'm like, I'll be excited when we're sitting down recording it. Yeah. You know, because this Lions, the Lions in was a little bit of time. It took a little time. It was a lot of time in the making. Mm-hmm. It took me kicking Brent in the ass and he'll admit that to you saying, Brent, this is where we need to go. This is the direction we need to go. I tried a podcast with my brother and a couple of other friends for a while called Midlife Crisis, mm-hmm. where it was me and like three of my, me and my brother and three of our buddies who were all the same age, just bitching about things from our, our point of view, you know, and it, it did okay, but I wasn't on a television show. You know, like I said to Brent, I said, man, you have a following that you're not really cultivating that well right now where we could take this. If we did a podcast, we would come out the gate in great shape because of, and I told him because of you, you're a, you're a legit, you've had two specials on Netflix. You've now been in two sitcoms, but you know what I mean? Movies. You've been on late night. I go, because Brent's like, you've been on late night. I go, yeah, but you know, it's different. You know, it's, it was a little longer ago and blah, blah, blah. Sure, you leaving? My wife's leaving. Yeah. Bob, love you. Um, but yeah, so I was really like, let's do that. He was like, all right, all right. He just didn't understand it. And I'm like, and it took me getting Dalia to call him and go, Brent, why aren't you doing a fucking podcast? Right. Well, he you was know? your first guest, right? Yeah, that, that was exactly what we wanted. We wanted us three to be the first episode of our pod. And he was gonna, he's going to come back again. But um, he, uh, we were, Chris and I were standing out in the front of the, right before we started, and I was just really stressing about getting it going, you know. I was uh, standing out in front of the Laugh Factory with Chris, and I was like, man, it's amazing in theaters that you're doing. It's incredible like, how your shows are just growing. And he looks at me and he goes... That's all from the fucking podcast. 
And then I go, really? He goes, yeah. Bobby, come in here. Bobby Lee. Why do you do theaters now, Bobby? And Bobby looks at me and goes, fucking podcast. All of my buddies that I started doing stand-up with, they, they, don't, they rarely do clubs anymore. They're doing theaters. Right. Theo Vaughn, theaters. I remember when Theo called me asking me advice on the venue that he shot his special in in New Orleans because I had done the venue already, the Civic Theater. And he, he called me. He's like, should I do that theater? I'm like, yeah, man, it's a great thing. Next thing you know, he does his special, gets his podcast. He's fucking blowing up, you know. A buddy of mine opened for him in Pittsburgh once and just low numbers. Just no sellout, super low. Hardly anybody came. He got heckled. It was bad. Cut to a year or so later, the podcast is blowing up. Goes and opens for him again. They had to add dates and turn people away. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So I told Brent, I go, these guys are blow, blowing up. Brent's, Brent wasn't doing theater. We're doing stand-up. We're doing clubs. I go, Brent, you're on the same show as Chris. You, you, why are we doing the same shit? And I told him, it's a podcast. And uh, that's pretty much me kicking him in the ass for a month or two saying let's get this thing going and the thing i love about brent is when he does something he doesn't he does not do shit half-ass right he never halfway does anything he's either not doing it or he's doing it all the fucking way yeah so then he when he decides to do it not only and i'm thinking i got a lot of buddies with podcast studios where you go nope he's like we're building our own we're building our own studio and he fucking invested into it and we built our own studio at his house so that's why our podcast looks different from everybody else's. We don't have the same look. Every, everything's, it's our own thing. And now it's building, you know, and now we have fans and listeners from literally all over the world. Like we're getting emails from Sweden, Norway, UK, Germany, Australia, India, the Middle East. It's crazy. Wow. That's, that's awesome. It's crazy what podcasting can do, you know? Because I built a little bit of a fan base in the Middle East and in, in India. Is that through working with Russell Peters? Russell and I did seven weeks overseas, and we were in South Africa. We were in South Africa. Where were we? South Africa, uh, India, and the Middle East. We did Durban, Cape Town, Johannesburg in South Africa. Then we did Mumbai, Bangalore, and Delhi in India. And we're talking thousands and thousands of people. Like right. cricket. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and it's just me and Russell. And I'm doing a half hour every night. Oh, so wow. I'm, and then during the show, they plaster on this giant screen, they plaster all my social media. So it's just, I'm getting thousands of followers every show. And then from India, we went to uh, the Middle East and we did Dubai. We did, where did I go? Dubai. Um, Bahrain, Muscat, Oman, Jordan. It was, yeah, it was insane. I mean, so what? now I have a, and then I got to go back on my own because of that. I went and sold out a 600 seater theater over there in oh, wow. Bahrain. And then, uh, so now, I, and I did radio and all that shit. So now I have people in the Middle East. I got like Bollywood stars with like <laughs> 4 million followers, like listening to the fucking podcast. It's pretty crazy. That's awesome. So then what was the yeah. process of bringing uh, Will in? Because Will's your guys' producer, right? Okay. Here's, where how, here's how we found Will. I did a shitty show at the uh, at Flappers one morning. I got asked. There was, it's, it was like a 
was like a bringer show or it was like some show. It was like an outside promoted show. But then the owners of the club asked me to come and headline that show to, to have a good show, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, they didn't, you know what I mean? Some of those shows are just, they're putting their friends on and like, right. Yeah. But um, it was a terrible show. A great audience, full crowd. Comics were garbage, right? So I just was like, I can't watch this anymore. And I went into the dressing room because the last thing I wanted them to see me watching and then to ask me how I did. Hey, how'd I do? Like, like I'm too nice sometimes. I'm like, oh, you did great. Right. Which I should be going, quit comedy <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, uh, but then I, when it was kind of almost my turn to go on, I wanted to kind of get a read for the crowd. And then also, one of the things I tell a lot of comics, make sure to actually watch some of the other comics just so you're not stepping on jokes, doing similar shit. Mm-hmm. And when I walked out, Will was on. And I'd never met him before. And he was killing it. He was, he was so funny. And, and it's, it's sense of humor was very similar to mine and Brent's. And I could tell, I'm like, oh, this guy, he watches me, Brent and Chris. I know he does. I can tell he does. Yeah. He gets off stage and I told him, I said, dude, that was a funny set. Man. That was great. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, great. That was fun, man. How long have you been doing stand-up? He's like, oh, two minutes or whatever the fuck it was. And I go, you, you. I go. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm Jason Collins. And he goes, oh, dude, I know who you are. I'm like, oh, which all, always feels good. Yeah. And he's like, I'm a big fan of you. And he said it. He goes, I'm a big fan of you to Leah and Brent Moore. I was like, oh. Wow. And then I, we kind of, ex- I, I hit him up on, on social media. My dogs. I hit him up on social media, and then I said, hey, you should come down to the store and hang out. And I'll introduce you to some people. This was a while ago, years ago. And then he just kind of. When he started hanging out, he was just such an easy hang. Like he, like he literally blended immediately. Like humor-wise, chill-wise, not too eager, not you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, uh, a little farther down the line, I had the opportunity to uh, to bring him on the road with me to take him to open for me. He opened for me, and that kind of was like, yeah, this is this this was this was fucking good. It, it was a good good mix. So then I hit Brent, and I said, hey, Brent. Anytime you're able to bring your own MC, you should bring Will. And then, then, then the first time the three of us did a show together, we did Cobbs in San Francisco together. Okay. Will and and then Brent and I closed it out, and it was so fun. And he was so funny because he didn't do well, you know. But then he, but he keeps trying, and he, then now he's just. Have you watched his stand-up? Yeah, well, I met him. So he's doing, I'm recording with him later today, actually. I'm doing a podcast with him at four. But he, uh, I, so I work at Sycamore Tavern. I'm a busboy there. And I'll do, I'll do this, I'll do sets up there. So he was on a show and, you know, I got up and did it. And then he, during my break, we started talking and we kind of hit it off. And now, you know, we're buddies. So yeah, yeah, he, I, I saw him. He was crushing. He's so funny. Dude, he is, he found his, he found his legs, man. I mean, he just, yeah, I remember one night I was at, I remember where we were. Oh, he opened for me. He featured for me in um, Arizona at Stir Crazy Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. And for the first time of him opening for me, I was watching his set from the audience and I was like, oh shit, I got to fucking bring it. Because he just fucking killed. Yeah. It was that moment, you know, and I'm like, which is a great fucking moment for him, you know. Right. For that to go oh fuck i gotta turn this sh- i gotta turn this shit up right you know? so yeah and now it's just 
and then and then the world came to an end and now we don't do stand up anymore yeah how are you doing in the quarantine are you making yourself busy dude this podcast it's literally saving my life yeah because we we record three days a week okay we record three days a week because we have we were doing one episode a week and then when the quarantine happened we're like let's just fucking give them a bonus episode let's do two a week Mm -hmm. so now we've kind of gotten into the idea so now it's just like second nature we go we have a what is it a friday episode we have one that comes out on friday and one that comes out on monday mm-hmm. those are the patreon then we have a patreon episode okay so mondays we record all our patreon stuff wednesdays we record our friday show and then a saturday sun or sunday we record our monday show so we're working three days a week on all that shit and the patreon's blowing up and then and uh, so it's keeping me sane. Like, I'm not like, Meh, I need to get out of the house. I'm, like, today I'm staying home and I'm fine with that. Right, because you have other stuff going on. Yeah, tomorrow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow I get to go do, not only do I go get to do my podcast, but with one of my, arguably one of my best friends in the world. Brent is more, these days, honestly, he's more like a brother than a friend. Because we could fight. Right. Fight. And at the end of the fight, be like, I love you, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's more like a, that. And now Will's kind of like our, his and I, our little brother, which is great. He's, he's, getting, he's getting quick, too. I'm like, the latest, the latest episodes of the pod, if you watch, he's, like, busting my balls now. And, like, it's pretty, pretty good. Like, <laughs> old guy comments and shit. That's good. So, but yeah. Uh, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. So then kind of going back to you, we were talking about you opening for Russell Peters and opening for Brent. How different is it? And what, like, what do you, how do you I prepare? Lot, I did before with Dalia as well. Yeah. And Dalia, how do you prepare for doing, you know, you're going out to do a club versus you're going out to do a theater versus you're going out to do an arena. Here's how I did it. I went right to the pro and I went right to Russell. And I'm like, cause he does this. Right. I says, what do I got to do? He's like, nothing. He goes, the reason I brought you out is because I knew you can do this. And uh, just, just, you just got to slow down a little bit and wait for the laughs because arenas, dude, like at a comedy club, you could chop it up and go right to the next thing. You have to slow down and wait for the laughs to go all the way to the back of the arena and come back to you and then turn into an applause break. So there's a little bit more of a, of a dance there that you, you know, but you, you get it. I got it the first show. I mean, our first show was a fucking hockey arena. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and I was like, huh? <laughs> Dude, it was crazy how it happened. Have you ever had, did I tell you how I got on that? Well, first of all, a lot of people don't know that Russell Peters and I have been friends since before I was a comedian. Oh, really? Yeah. I met Russell at, cause I've been friends with Joe Coy see i've been doing stand-up for 14 years almost 15 years i've known joe for like 20 years oh wow yeah i met joe through a buddy of mine that i grew up with and went to school with okay and joe did some business together and my buddy knew i loved stand-up and wanted to be a comic so he introduced me to joe coy him and i hit it off immediately became buddies that's how i got into comedy i just started running around with joe to all his shows mm-hmm. and then one day i walked into the haha and i lied and said that joe coy said I'd, you'd put me up they did Luckily, it went well, and they asked me back. Yeah. I met Russell Peters at um, – we, we threw a big birthday party for Joe Coy years ago. Gosh. I mean, this is probably just before I stand, started – so probably like 05. Okay. 
And Joe got pretty drunk and, uh, and I needed to carry him, not carry him, but like walk him to my car. Cause I drove him mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm walking him out. Party's ending. We're all getting, Joe's just wasted. And, and I got him by an arm and a guy comes on the other side of him and goes, Hey dude, I'll help you out. And he got his other arm. So now me and this guy are carrying Joe to my car and he says, Hey, I'm Russell. And I go, Oh, Russell, you're Joe's buddy, the comedian. He goes, yeah. I go, I'm Jason. I'm, and he goes, Oh, you're the martial arts guy. That's how they knew me because at the time that's what all I did. Right. So I literally met Russell Peters carrying drunk Joe Coy to my car. Wow. That's how I met Russell. That's crazy. And then we kind of were buddies here uh, off and on. And, and, then, and then I would see him in the scene after I started. I remember years ago, I asked him if I could open for him and he kind of laughed it off. So then I never asked him again. And then we would see each other and it was always like, hey, man, hugs and love. And he's like, what's up, Jay? And I'm, we're buddies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But think about it as a guy who's, think about it, you're, you're a comedian and you got a non-comedian guy going, I want to do it one day. And you're always like, whatever, dude. Right. I think I was that guy to them. I was that wannabe to Joe and Russell, basically. Mm-hmm. And then cut to all these years later, last year, uh, last, not last Halloween, but the Halloween before. What are we in 2018? 2018, uh, Russell and I ended up on the same show. And we have before, but he never stuck around. John Campanelli's show. Campanelli's show at the Improv. He booked both of us. Russell walked in right when I went on stage and I had a a really fucking good set. Apparently he looked at one of my buddies and was like, it's kind of pissing me off how good he's gotten. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. And then he was like, someone's going on after Jason because I'm not. Like, he literally said that. Oh, wow. Huge compliment. So then I get off stage and I see him and he's like, fucking great set. We hug and I go, I have to leave. I got to go to another show. He's like, do your thing, dude. And I had like two more shows that night. I think I was at the Laugh Factory. All that one night, I was at the Improv Laugh Factory Comedy Store. So I had to to get out. Right. The next day, John Campanelli posts, posts a picture of him and Russell together and says, amazing show last night and as a joke because i had a good set as a joke i commented underneath i put you're welcome nice well then russell comments on my comment he puts you're on a freight train to greatness with a fire emoji i was like whoa that's that's an interesting that's a comment you don't hear all the time yo this dude is on a this guy is world famous yeah arenas around the world and he just said that about me and i was like wow thanks dude that means everything it was so cool because he's a buddy, but he's also like a comedy mentor to me. Like Russell, I would consider Russell and Joe, I would consider like my big brothers at comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guys that like, taught me kind of thing. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, that's great. The next day I'm at Starbucks and I'm like, and I get a phone call. First, first off, I get a text from Campanelli and said, Hey, Russell asked me for your number. I don't know what that means, but could be cool. I'm like, oh, okay. And I do know that Russell likes to bring people on the road, and it's very lucrative, and it's and he takes really good care of his fucking openers. It's crazy, and it's like you hear the legends, like, oh, they're on a private jet the entire tour. Oh, they're yeah. staying in resorts, right? So, so John texts me that, and I'm like, oh, cool. Then I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize because my answer to John was Russell already has my number, but I had forgotten. I've changed my number. Comics change their numbers a lot. I get a phone number from a number I don't recognize and I don't answer it because I'm like, that's a bill collector. Fucking not answering that. So then I get a text from that same number going, hey, asshole, it's Russell. Pick up your phone. 
I was like, oh shit. So I called him back, like, what's up, dude? He's like, dude, you fucking set the other night. It was incredible. Thank you. I was like, Russell, you have no idea what that means coming from you. That's amazing. Thank you so much. He's like, yeah, man. That was, he goes, that was one of those bits where like you get mad at yourself for not thinking of it. And that's like a big compliment with comedians. When you watch a comic, you're like, fuck, why didn't I write that fucking bit? Mm-hmm. And that's what he said. It was like watching my shit. I was like, dude, thanks, man. He's like, what are you doing in November? Because it was like September at the time. I said, uh, well, I got Charlotte, North Carolina. I got that, and I got a, like four different cruise ship gigs. And he's like, huh. I go, what's up? He goes, cancel all that shit. I go, what do you mean? He goes, what I mean is you're going to do an arena tour across Canada with me for an entire month. And I was like, I got to get off the phone and call my agent because I got some shit to cancel, you know? <laughs> I hate cruise ship gigs anyways. They're good money, but they're, unless you, it takes a certain personality. They're really good money, but they're soul sucking. Like it's so, they're terrible. They're right. fucking, I'm just going to say it. And so I was so happy to cancel all that, that shit. And he goes, okay, so, and it was just like a week away or a couple weeks away. He goes, so on Halloween, come to my house, bags packed. We're going to take my daughter trick-or-treating and then we're going to get on a private jet to, to Vancouver. And I was like, okay. So I go to his place, which is fucking beautiful. And we, dude, we got on a private jet. And the next thing you know, for the next four weeks, I was on a private jet literally every other day flying to the next arena. It was like a rock concert. Wow. And like standing ovations and shit. Bro, 17,000 people where the, uh, uh, the Raptors play in Toronto sold out. It was, dude, it was just like... Yeah, it was like nothing I've ever experienced because I did a pretty, I did a big theater tour with Delia a couple years prior. I don't know if you remember his Under No Influence tour. It was um, like 20, was 28 that, or 30 cities or something. Which special came out of that? Incorrigible. Okay, so that was, yeah, that, he did that right before I got into doing stand-up. So I was on the tour that he was working out Incorrigible. Okay. And we did 30 cities in 30, in almost, no, we did 28 cities in 30 days. Wow, that, that's was, brutal. That's a lot. The we did it is we didn't stay on the road. That was crazy. We flew every week. We were on a fucking plane every, every four or five days we were on a plane. We would fly out, do the gig, stay in the hotel, come home the next day. And then three days later, fly out, do the gig, stay in the hotel, come home the next day. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. Fun. But other than that, I don't know if you remember, you're, you're just a kid, but uh, Carlos Mencia. Yeah. I toured with Mencia when he was still doing big tours. Okay. Back, back in the day when I first started stand-up. Mm-hmm. He picked me up early on. I was only doing comedy for like four years. And he took me out on this big tour. But other than that, never arenas. And that that was cool. And then halfway through that Canadian tour with Russell, he pulls me aside and says, hey, we want you to go international with us. And uh, we want you to do the, uh, the overseas tour. And I was like, yeah. He goes, get ready because we're going to be gone for six weeks. I'm like, fuck, let's do it. And that's when I did the Africa and – Africa, India, and Middle East. That's crazy. That's a great story with, with Russell. Oh, it's great. And we were buddies already, but now he's like, he's literally become one of my best friends. Like he's, he's, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know he's a DJ as well, which is something oh, people don't he's know. Been longer than he's been doing stand up. Yeah. He's incredible. He's great. He's really good. Dude, that was one of the funnest parts of the Canadian tour. He would book clubs for, for the VIP parties after the shows where he was getting DJ. Oh, really? It was so crazy. People from the fucking shows would try to get into the club. It was bananas, man. It was, it was really crazy. 
Yeah, that's that's because I've heard I, we have a family friend that is friends with Russell, and what every the story they tell us is just how great of a guy he is. You know how great of a DJ he is, how funny off stage he is too. Oh, dude, he's the king, king, king of dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Loves dad jokes, and it's, it cracks me up. But he's the kind of guy too that'll do the same joke over and over again, but it's fucking hilarious every time. Right. Every, who's your friend that knows him? Their their name's Lazo. My friend's Drew Lazo. He's a uh, he's a kid. He's a golf. He plays on the golf team in LMU. Okay. His dad's in the. Uh, I can't think. Wait, I don't know what his dad is right now. Dude, I did a. I went to some golf benefit thing for like the Tyson Ranch thing. I wonder if I met him there. Probably. I know they're 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 there with a lot of that type of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So then, yeah. uh, let. So then, what's uh, you know, that stories with Russell. What's it like opening for Brent and that type of stuff? Is that fun? Because that's you guys are like brothers. You said that's that's a different thing. Like it, it's almost it doesn't even feel like opening for it. It's we we've decided that we when we do the road together, it's a it's the Jason and it's the Jason and Brent show. Like okay. we, I'll go on and I'll do twenty five to a half an hour, then Brent will go on and do an hour. And then we, then he'll bring me back on stage and we close out the show with some crazy thing together. Okay. Yeah. We usually improvise a song about the city we're in <laughs> or something, you know, and it's always standing ovation shit, but it's so much fun because it's like, there's so much trust there between the two of us and we know each other so well. People have so many times have asked us, is that rehearsed? And we're like, no. We do everything in one take. Right. Well, even when we do the ads on our podcasts, even when we do like there's, there's bonus material on the, on the Patreon where we're doing like these funny blogs, we don't write any of it. And we usually shoot them in one take mm-hmm. because we, are, we know each other so well and our timing so well that I, we, he already knows what I'm, gonna, what I'm thinking before I'm thinking it and vice versa. And so doing the road with him is great. It's like, it doesn't, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't get homesick because I got him there. Right. Because I, I get homesick and I miss my house and I hit my wife and kids and my dogs and shit. But especially like being as gone, being gone as long as we were overseas. That was, that was crazy, dude. Mm-hmm. I was gone for months. I was gone for almost two months. Yeah. That's a, it's a long time to be on the road. Yeah. I mean, doing it the way we did it with Russell is fucking awesome. Right. You know, we're in we were literally staying in palaces. We, there were certain gigs, all of them were like seven star, all of them. But there were certain ones that were just like, what the, f-? like I had my own personal butler a lot of the time. Oh my God. Yeah, that would just show up. <laughs> Anything, sir, Mr. Collins? I was like, knock before you come in first. But, but yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. You ever flown in a? Uh, you ever flown first class on an airplane where you have your own suite on the plane? So I went to Dubai last summer, and I did. I, uh, did you take? Uh, did you take a private jet there, or did you take United Emirates? We did Emirates, but we did first class with the, yeah. with the suite. So I, I did business class, which I know isn't the same, but that's the closest I've gotten to that. Emirates is the shit, though. Oh yeah, I mean the fact that there's a bar on the plane is like. And if you're in business and first, you get you can hang out at the bar and chill. Yeah, I have so many cool pictures and videos of us all at the bar. Yeah, well, there was a, I have the crazy. What? Did they give you the pajamas? Yeah, the, uh, not the pajamas, but they gave us slippers and stuff like that. Bro, 
when you fly first class, first of all, the bathroom in first class is bigger than the bathroom in my house. <laughs> it's got a full shower, full, it's like this, it's probably the size of this dining room. That's wild. It's wild. And then they give you like these pajamas to wear and you keep them and shit. Yeah. Crazy. You can schedule a massage and it's nuts, man. But yeah, that's how we like, I've never flown on a plane where I had my own suite. Right. Like door and it's, I'm by my, I had a bar in my, my, a bed, a bar, a fucking huge screen television, like everything I needed. Yeah. I think the craziest thing. So when we were flying to Dubai, it's the weirdest story. I was, I was in the bar hanging out back there. What were you doing? In Dubai? Were you doing uh, stand up? What? Yeah. No. Oh. Oh, why'd I go to Dubai? Yeah. I, uh, no, I, my mom went to the Ellen show during like, the 12 days of giving and they gave that out. That's amazing. Yeah. So we got to stay at Atlantis and it was, it was really fun. It's a great town. It's a great city. Dubai is cool. We stayed at that, at Caesar's homes. Oh, nice. It was sick. Yeah. yeah. But I, so I'm sitting in the bar and I start talking to this guy and I go, yeah, you know, I do stand up." and he's looking at me and he goes, how old are you? And I go, I'm 18. He goes, wait, what's your name again? I say, Ethan Howard. He goes, I've seen you perform like six times. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah. And he just, this guy on this random little, flight. Little guy in glasses? Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> but he. I know who right? he is. I, yeah. I know. But he just happened to see me a bunch of times. And it was like one of those random situations yeah. where it was like, I didn't get recognized, but it was like the first time that someone's like, oh, I've seen you before, which was like. On the, on a, at the bar on an Emirates flight. That's weird. Yeah. Of <laughs> all places, you know. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, I mean, that, that airline knows what they're doing. But I tell you, doing a, doing a tour like that and then coming home, I can't wait to get back into a comedy club. Yeah. Like, I want, like when I, the first time I did a big tour, when I did it with, with uh, Mencia, mm -hmm. when, when I flew home, I took a car straight to the HaHa. -Ha. Oh, really? And because I wanted to get on stage and they let me do an hour in front of eight people. Nice. I, I like, I needed that. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, that's one of my goals in the next, cause you know, I'm going to college in the fall. I'm going to, I'm moving into New York city and, uh, oh, where so are you going? You going I'm, to you? I'm going to the new school. It's a smaller liberal arts school, but my goal there is to, you know, get passed by a bunch of clubs and, uh, hopefully be able to go on the road with someone. Or even if I'm doing, you know, the strip mall comedy clubs, that's kind of my goal in the next four years. We'll be out there for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the one club that I haven't cracked yet because I just haven't had a chance to get over there. But they 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 want me to come and showcase is the cellar. Mm -hmm. Brent is past at the cellar. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I want to try to get to the cellar. But yeah, we're, we're supposed to be up. When are you going? Uh, I move. I leave in August. Okay, we're gonna be out there in November, I think. Oh, nice! I'll definitely come hit you yeah. guys up. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, I've done it. I've played when I was there. I played Caroline's and Gotham, and they're it's so fun. Gotham's great. Yeah, I did. Do you know uh, Do you know Royale Watkins at all? Mm -hmm. So I did Royale. Royale's the guy that got me into stand-up, and I did his show. And, oh, nice. Uh, so he, I called him, and I was like, hey, man, I'm right here. Can I get up? And he's like, dude, come by. And I did 10 minutes, and it was like, it was so fun. Doing stand-up in New York for the first time, right? Yeah, because like I've done, you know, I do, I've done the Laugh Factory here. I've done the Laugh Factory Chicago. I've done the, the both rooms at the Improv, and I love them so much. There was just something different about doing Caroline's and Gotham. That was just like, this is New York comedy. Right. And then, of course, both of them 
both of those clubs at one point had comedy shows on TV. Yeah. Gotham Comedy Live when it was on Access and then Live at Gotham when it was on Comedy Central. And then there was one, Caroline's had one and I can't remember what network it was on, but I remember there was a uh, show that was live from Caroline's. I can't remember which one it was. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I'm really excited to move out there and uh, hopefully, you know, these clubs will take me in and let me perform. They will. The first club I ever performed at in New York isn't, doesn't, isn't around anymore. It was called the Ha. You know, we have the Ha Ha. There was just one Ha. Just one Ha? Just one Ha. I don't, I don't think it's there anymore. It was right off Times Square. Mm-hmm. I know they have the, the Times Square. Like, it's called LOL Comedy Club. Yeah. I know that, but I don't those, know. Those ones are a little bit... They got the Barkers, and there's no... And, you know, it's just, Yeah, you get sometimes you get the drunk tourists in there and stuff. Caroline's can get a little touristy. Yeah. Uh, I do like if you if when you're out there, I'll 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 uh, connect you with the person who runs New York Comedy Club. Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. Two locations now. Yeah. So uh, going back to like your your stand up, what was why did you decide to record your album called it was School Shoes, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you come up with the name? Why did you decide to record it when you did and all that? And what was the process behind making well, an album? I was I was trying to get a special and my management three arts entertainment was like, let's do an uh, audio album first and see how, how that goes. And I'm like, okay. And then, uh, they, they hired an amazing team to record the album. It was like the same, the same sound guys that did like the OJ Simpson documentary on CNN, like oh, recorded wow. special, but it was with, uh, three arts and comedy dynamics. And, uh, Everybody that had recorded uh, an album at Comedy Store La Jolla said it's just, they set it up perfectly and it sounds amazing. And they were right. It sounded fucking great. And then the the, the, uh, title, School Shoes, that comes from a bit that I used to do about getting mad at your kids. And uh, I would say in the bit, are those your school shoes? Are you wearing your school shoes outside? And because a kid had just gotten hurt, but I care more about his school shoes getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I go, that's a parent thing. I go, your kid can be bleeding from the face, but you're like, are you wearing your school shoes outside? Get the house, that kind of thing. So I just named the show School Shoes. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then, so are your kids a big, when they were growing up and to now, is a lot of your stand-up based off stories of them? And are they a big influence on your stand-up? Well, my life in general, because I believe that's the best comedy. True, true life, real, honest comedy is my favorite because everyone can relate. In other words, I talk about my experiences as a father. But people that could relate to that are across the board. Kids as young as my kids were to guys my age and older can all relate. You know, I mean, I, I love that when I would come out of shows, people would come up to me, the dads would go, dude, I feel you, man. I'm that guy, blah, blah, blah. And then the kids would come and go, man, you're so much like my dad. I wish you were my dad. Like that, like everyone's like relating to me, you know? Right. I mean, how old are you, 18? I'm 18. How old were you the first time you saw me do stand-up? I was probably 16. I honestly, I think the first time I saw you was when you were with Russell Peters at the Improv. Oh, on Camp's show? Yeah, because I think I was supposed to do it, and then I had to, and then something happened where I couldn't make it on time. Oh, and okay. I got there, and like, and then I saw you on stage. And as a 16-year-old, you were, you got it. Yeah. See, that's my point. Like, I don't try to pigeonhole too much shit, but... I talk about my life in a way that it's relatable to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, 
I think when they were younger, they weren't big fans of that. And neither was my wife. Cause they're like, this is our private life you're talking about. But I'm like, this is the only way it's going to work. The only way it's going to be funny is if it's shit that really happened. Right. You know, cause I, you know, my oldest son got into some trouble when he was younger and I talked about that on stage and Elaine hated that. That's our personal business. I'm like, but it is, but this is my business, you know? Right. This is what I do. But, and then of course, you know, my youngest had a little bit of a hard time at first with me being gone a lot. But uh, they're cool now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I think. It's cool I'm, now. I'm hang. Like when my oldest was living, um, living over in Arkansas, like he would come out and meet me in like Houston or whatever. Whenever I was out there, we had a one, we had a cool night one time in like New Orleans together. It was pretty cool because he would come out and meet me when I was places close to where he was living before he moved back. And then my old, my youngest, he just, he pretty much only likes, yeah, later, but he pretty much only likes the comedy store. <laughs> He'll ask me, you got a show tonight? Yeah, my youngest, Jonathan, he's 25. He goes, you got a show tonight? Well, when he was younger, this was always his question. Hey, Dad, you got a show tonight? And I'm like, yeah. And he would go, okay, but who else is on it? Like, he didn't give a fuck about watching me. You know what I mean? Right. He always enjoyed watching Dane. He always enjoyed watching Chris. He always enjoyed watching Brent. And his big question for the longest time was, is Chris or Brent on the show? And if they were on the show with me, that was the one that was selling him. Yeah, I'll come with you. You know? Yeah. But now he's out on, a, on his own and all that. And he, he'll like, he'll Uber over to the store when I'm over there and we'll have a drink together and a cigar. And he likes hanging at the store. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I've heard so many great stories about the store. I've tried to get in. They've said no, but, uh, cause you know, I'm not 21, but. Try to always get in to hang. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to sit. I've, I've, what? It's a lot more strict now. It used to just be, you could just wander in onto that front patio and now you can't. I yeah. Mean, a couple of years ago, there was a shooting at the store and they had changed everything. Right. Security guard, which I'm great. Security guy, checking IDs, you know, the whole thing, but it's a little more velvet ropey now. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it is a magical place. And like, whenever I walk by it, I feel it. Like you feel how special that room is, or that club is. Yeah. What's going to have to happen if you, to get in there before you're 21, you're going to have to blow up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was talking to. Uh, one of the bookers that I forgot one of the outs, this was like a year ago. And they said, the only way you could get in is if either one, you get a show either two, you walk in with Sebastian or you walk in with Chappelle. Yeah. And I said, all right, well, let me call my people and see what I can do. All right. Hey, this is my buddy, Dave Chappelle. He said I can get in with him. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They're like, all right, come on in. Yeah. There's some there. Oh man. That place is the best. Yeah. I'm excited for when I'll be able to go there and hopefully I'll be, uh, strong enough well i'm sure i will be seven years in when i turn 21 as a comedian it can make you really happy and it can also kick you in the balls that place and make you so fucking mad at it fuck this place i mean i can't even tell you how many times i was like fuck this fucking person but i'm like oh no fuck i love it yeah so much you know i love that you that i can drive by on sunset and look and see my name yeah just there on the wall you know yeah it's kind of cool because it's on sunset so i've had people like send it to me on Instagram and stuff that are walking. People I don't even know that are walking and will like circle my name and shit. It's kind of cool. Who are you, uh, who are you placed next to? Who am I placed next to? I think Annie Letterman, uh, Dean Del Rey. Uh, I can't remember. I got it. It got put up there in 13, 2013. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even here. I was, I was, I had gotten invited to just for last Montreal that year. Oh, nice. I was in Montreal when they put the name up, but my brother and my son went, and we're taking pictures and sending it to me and shit, which was kind of cool. 
That's yeah. I just I submitted to uh, Just for Laughs. My manager submitted me, so we're waiting to hear back. I don't know what they're gonna do because for this year they moved it back to October, but uh, we applied for the new faces. Oh, good, good, yeah. good, good. You'll you'll at the very least you'll get a fucking showcase. I I hope so. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. The goal, like I said, is to be able to be to have going to New York have at least some credits that I can say like, look, this proves that I'm good enough to at least get a showcase. Right. So. Right. Cool thing about getting those showcases too. I don't know how it is now, but when I was trying to, when I got, was doing it is when, cause I showcased, I think three or four years before they invited me. And which was cool because they didn't sit, they didn't send me as a new face. When I finally went, they like made money offers and put me on actual shows, which was another thing. It was like, Oh, Jason Collins is doing a thing that nobody else. Like my, my, my trajectory was so different from everybody, you know? Right. I didn't do new faces. I got actual shows. They put me on like talk of the fest, best of the fest, BET comic view. And all these other ones, which was my first time there. Had a good, had, had a good festival though. But, um, I remember you would, when you would showcase, I showcased two or three years in a row and didn't get invited. And I was so bummed that my manager was like, you understand they know who you are now. Right. They know who you are. They're looking forward to seeing you. Like you, they, you get into their psyche and they know who you are. I mean, I know guys that showcase seven, eight years in a row until they got invited. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what goes on at the festival that makes it so, you know, magical or like makes it the best comedy festival in the world? Well, it's a little different now, but back when I was doing it, it was just the, it was just, it was the socializing part. The shows were amazing. And then of course, meeting the industry people. I mean, I think I got a meeting with every major network when I got out, when I did it. That's cool. You get them seeing, you know, but now it's like with everything so digital and online and like, it's almost like they don't even need to have a festival anymore. It's, it's kind of weird. But the fun part back then was uh, the Funny or Die party. Funny or Die party was incredible. I think now it's like the Netflix party is the big one. But just those kind of things, the group parties, the, the, the meetings and all that shit. And, and they, that town just becomes like a big, giant circus for comedians for like that whole two weeks or whatever it is. Bugsy, stop. <laughs> Dog's digging on the chair. Come here. Do you ever see Bugsy? Uh, I think I saw him on Instagram yesterday. He's a pain. Come here. There he is. Hey, Bugsy. How are you? He's a French. A cute dog. Yeah, he's, he, he, I kind of inherited him. My oldest son, I've talked about it on stage when he moved out, when he moved to Arkansas, like oh, however long ago that was. Mm-hmm. He, got a, he got him. He got a puppy. Like when I say it in my bit, I go, when my son moved out five years ago, he thought that he could take care of another living thing, so he got a puppy. Now he's moved home, so now I have a bull, a French bulldog. Nice. That, that's funny. Yeah. So now I have a bulldog. So I was kind of, I was going through your, your pages and all that stuff. And I saw that you did the tonight show you did with Jay Leno. What's, I mean, that's, that's so cool. What's, can you talk about that? That was such an amazing experience. That all was in the same year, by the way, Mm -hmm. 2013, I got passed at the comedy store, invited to just for laughs, BET comic view and the tonight show all in that one year. Like that was the year that was supposed to launch my career. And then the pendulum and the, 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 the trends in the industry shifted a little bit to like diversity and other things. And it just kind of, you know, didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. But now things are, now things are a little different now because of podcasts. But um, I, I, 
basically I, uh, I got the show and then I thought well, I wasn't going to get it. Like my, my manager, uh, sent the booker of it at the time out to see me and didn't tell me, which is a good thing for me. Cause I was, I wasn't nervous. Right. And then they called me and, and they put me on a conference call and they, it, it was the booker of the tonight show and my manager on the phone. They're like, Hey man, um, I just want you to know you have the best manager in the business. I was like, Oh, thanks. He goes, you're booked. You're doing the tonight show. And I was like, oh, I cried. You know, I'm looking at a picture of my dad on the wall. Who like my dad passed away like a month after I started stand up, So I never got to see any of the successes, you know? Yeah. It was awesome. And they're like, you're on the books, but we didn't get a date. Dude, six months went by and I didn't hear anything. So I called my manager. I was like, is this tonight show thing going to happen or what? What am I doing? He's like, Jason, I don't think it's going to happen. I go, what? He goes, yeah, they're, they're, they're moving it to New York. Jay's no longer going to be on the show. Fallon has taken over and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, he's like, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll shop around and maybe go to Conan, other places. I'm like, all right. And I just didn't think it was going to happen. So then I get a call. He says, hey, you're, um, you might do the Tonight Show, actually. It might actually happen. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, just stand by. I'm like, okay. Then I didn't hear anything that day. And then he was like, we don't know what's going to happen, dude. It was like one of those weird, like, they just didn't know. Right. And then I was having one of those days where I'm like, fucking my career sucks right now. Nothing's happening. You know, I did all these things and nothing's coming from it. Blah, blah, And I went on, I went out for a run. And I literally, the minute I walked into the door from my run, my phone rings and it's my manager. And I was like, what's up, man? He goes, you're doing the Tonight Show today. I go, what? He goes, can you do the Tonight Show today? I go, Yeah. He goes, well, get ready because the car's picking you up in 45 minutes. Like that kind of shit. Like I didn't know I was doing the Tonight Show until the day I did. Are you serious? That's, yeah. that's insane. It was insane. So I hang up. My, my youngest son at the time, he was 18 at the time, was home. And I looked at him. He's like, what? Because you could tell that was an intense phone call. And I was like, do you want to go to the Tonight Show today? He goes, yeah. I was like, all right, let's get dressed. Let's, we're going. And we got dressed, the fucking limo picked us up here down in Lakewood, drove us to Burbank, we get to the set. I'm like, who are the guests? Dude, they're like, you're closing out the show. Justin Timberlake's on, and Paula Patton is on. Oh my gosh. Paula Patton and Justin Timberlake. And I was like, what? Wow. Basically, it's because of Justin that I got to do the show. Because he was scheduled to perform, to sit on the couch and be interviewed. And then at the end of the show, perform a song. And he decided he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to sit on the couch and talk about the movie. So uh, I got to close it out. It was pretty crazy. And uh, dude, six applause breaks in four and a half minutes. Joe Coy called me crying. All kinds of comedians were like, dude, that was literally a perfect stand-up song. I didn't even, dude, I had it so prepared. I didn't look at, they, they put your, your set on a teleprompter. Mm-hmm. I didn't even look at it. They put a timer clock so you know how much time you got. Didn't even look at it. Didn't look at it once. Looked at the audience, looked at Justin and Jay Leno, and I got six applause breaks, and I got done at 4.30 on the dot. Wow. And it was nuts. And then they called me over the couch. I walk over, shake Jay's hand. Paula Patton gives me a kiss. And then Justin and I, Timberlake and I shake hands, and I lean into him, and then he starts cracking up. And then we say goodnight. So the next day, all the messages I'm getting, none of them are like, 
whoa, great set, blah, blah. Well, some of them obviously, but most messages were like, what did you say to Justin Timberlake that made him laugh so hard? Like they wanted to know what I said in his ear that, like when I leaned in. And what a lot of people didn't realize is that after I did my set and I went, good night, and I walked over the couch, Leno says, that's our show for tonight. Next week we have blah, 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 blah. He fucked the lines up. Ah. I had to go back, not do my set again, thank God, because it was perfect. But I had to go, good night, one more time, and then walk over. And when I walked over and we did the handshaking thing, when I leaned into Justin Timberlake, I said, I hope Jay doesn't fuck it up this time. That's all I said. <laughs> and it cracked him up. We ended up hanging out for like a half an hour in my dressing room afterwards. Me, me, Jay Leno, Justin Timberlake, and my son, just us in my dressing room, like just chopping it up. Wow. And we're talking and we're talking comedy and Justin, you know, him and I had his ex, his ex-girlfriend and I grew up in the same city and went to the same school and stuff. Guys, when he asked me where I'm from, he said, where are you from? I was like, I'm from Long Beach. He's like, oh, my ex-girlfriend's from there. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, Cameron Diaz. She's yeah. from Long Beach. And then, then we went into the dressing room. We were just having, a, just having a cool little hang, you know, talking comedy. and just It was fun. And at, at one point, I look over into the corner of the dressing room, and my son is in the corner just like, right. what the fuck is happening right now? I'm sitting in a room with Jay Leno and Justin Timberlake, and they're talking to my dad. You know, it was that kind of a moment. So that was really cool. And I, I wasn't nervous. I was ready. I wasn't nervous. Like right before the, the thing opens up and you walk out, there's a lady there, like a producer. Right. And she's like, all right, are you ready? I was like, yeah, I am ready. And she goes, are you nervous? And I go, no, not at all. And I literally had this moment where like, I'm actually, I'm actually exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. I'm here about to do this because I'm supposed to be. This is the time, you know, like I, I learned that also things happen when they're supposed to happen. Right. Like when I got, when I got just for laughs, I wanted it the year before and I was pissed that I didn't get it. But then I had a whole nother year to sharpen up and get better. And the next thing you know, I'm getting standing ovations at just for laughs, you know, mm-hmm. and then the, the tonight show thing was just like, it was so fucking flawless. Like nothing went wrong. Literally nothing went wrong. It was crazy. That's wow. I mean, that's what, that's an amazing story. The whole through it's like, yeah, it's a pretty trippy story. People, whenever I tell stories like that on the podcast, they're like, how the fuck? What? That's not a real story. I'm like, no, that's a real story. When I tell them how I started stand up, like, you know, I've never done open mics. Oh really? Never. So I'm, I'm right there with, I've done one and it was the first time I ever did stand up. Yep. First time I ever did stand up was on an actual show. Because I li- lied to Jack, the owner of the comedy club, and told him right. that I'd been doing it for five years. Joe Coy and John Lovitz told me to come here and that you would put me on stage. And he was like, okay, puts me up. I did my first time ever doing stand up. I did a 15 minute set. I got off stage. The booker and Jack go, come back tomorrow. You're on the show tomorrow, too. And I've been doing stand up ever since. Wow. That's like on no mics. That's awesome, too. I mean, that's insane as well. Yeah, just lied my way into comedy. <laughs> just BS my way into it a little bit, you know. Was uh, was yeah, I've been doing it for five years. Why, why that number? You know, right? You know, was your son in that in the dressing room? Was that kind of in the Tonight Show? Was that that moment where your son kind of realized what you were doing and like understood stand up? Made sense to everybody because that night we watched it here at my house because you you shoot it at about four or five o'clock in the evening, right. then they should play it at whatever time it plays. You know, my mom and my brother, like my immediate family, my mom, my brother, my wife, and my 
kids and then a really good friend of mine. I don't know if you know a comedian named Camilla Cleese. The name's really familiar. You know Cleese is from uh, Monty Python? Yeah. John, it's his daughter. Okay. She, she came over and we all watched it together and sitting there in my living room watching me on television, I was looking around the room and everybody was kind of going, this is what he does now. This is what he does now. Because I'd only been doing stand-up for six years when I got the Tonight Show. Right. You know? Jack, stop. That's, so, yeah, I mean, that, those moments are what I love. I love when, when my friends, because, you know, being 18, it's, it's weird for my friends when I'm, they're like, what would you do last night? And I was like, oh, I hung out with a bunch of, you know, 29 to 40-year-olds doing stand-up. They're like, why? Yeah, they're like, they don't understand. So, like, my, my moment with my friends where they understood it, we were driving to, uh, we were going to a party, and I'm driving, and my phone's hooked up, and I'm playing music, and all of a sudden, my phone starts ringing, and I get a call from Keenan Thompson, because we're pals through a thing I, I did, and they're all, like, they're all huge SNL fans, and they're like, wait a second, what's going on right now? And I'm like, and I answered it, and I just start talking to him, and they're like, right. What, what's going on? And they're all like, you know, stunned. And I'm like, this is what, this is my job. This is what I do. It's like one night when, when Will first started hanging out with me mm-hmm. standing in front of the improv and Russell pulls up in a fucking Rolls Royce and he comes and he gets out of the car and he comes up. He's like, what's that? And this is before I did the tours with him and shit. He comes up, he's like, Colin, what's up? And hugging it, or like chopping it up. And, he walks and, he goes, and Will goes, you just like know him? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's a buddy. And now Will's there. Yeah. You know? Think about it. Will's like buddies with Bobby Lee. Yeah. Well, he told me a great story about him opening for him where he was just like, he, Bobby never seen him perform and he just took him. Yep. But yeah, I mean, that, and the one other time that really, that, that type of thing happened to me is we were at, my buddy and I were in Studio City. We were walking around and we went to Starbucks and uh, Burt Kreischer walks in. Burt. And yeah, this is, I, I don't, know exactly what Starbucks you're talking about. Yeah. So I don't know Bert that well, but we were on a show together like three nights before at the improv and uh, my friend and I are ordering and Bert taps me on the shoulder and he's like, Hey man, what's up? And I'm like, Oh, what's up Bert? And we start talking for a minute. And my friend who he literally the, the day before was like, you need to watch this guy's special called secret time. I was like, dude, come on. I know like that's Bert's one. of them. <laughs> So then my friend is staring at Bert and he's like, you just like said hi to him. Like you're a friend. And I'm like, well, like he saw my set the other night. It's like, yeah, it's a, they don't realize that comics were a community, whether you've been doing it for fucking four years, two months or 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. If we are on the same show together, you're a comic. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's some, that's something that I've kind of figured out is that, you know, I always would tell people I did stand up comedy, but it's been probably about, half a year to eight months ago is when I started telling people that I'm a stand-up comedian. Right. And I think that there was definitely a shift in my perspective and my writing got stronger and my perspective got stronger and just the way that I felt about my passion got stronger with it. Right. I approached it like I did martial arts. When I was a kid, I was like 12 or something and I started starting studying martial arts and it was the first thing that I was really good at. I mean, I played a lot of football, but I was just okay at it. But I loved it. I loved playing, but I just never was that good at it. Whereas martial arts, I picked it up like that. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is kind of my thing. And I was really proud of it. And I remember when I got my yellow belt, I told my friends, bro, I got my yellow belt. And they laughed. Oh, fucking yellow belt? Okay, big deal, dude. 
So I never told him anything again. One cut to 16 years old now, uh, high school. And my buddies were like, hey, we're going to so-and-so this weekend. You guys want to come to me? And my, you know, I have a twin brother. Mm-hmm. As, and my brother and I go, we can't come. And I'm like, why? I'm like, oh, we're testing for our black belt this weekend. And they're like, what? And that was like, that's a different reaction. Yellow belt to black belt. Right. First reaction was like, you guys still do that? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And then, of course, through the years, all of our buddies started doing it and becoming good at it. Like, Because then when I owned my own school, all my – Best friends growing up, they're like, oh, we can take more stars for free, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but yeah, it's the same thing. I just really didn't, didn't talk a lot about it. I didn't, I didn't invite any friends or family. The only family or, that I ever invited to shows was my brother because that was a, it's a different thing. But my wife, I never wanted my wife to come. I, it, none of my family. I didn't invite them to see me do a show for the first probably two years of stand-up. And then when, they, and then when I was on a legitimate show at a legitimate club, I said, why don't you guys come to this one? They were like, what the fuck? And right. were you just in the hallway talking with Chris Rock? I'm like, yeah. Same kind of thing. Like, we're the same, you know? Right. It's like, yeah. yeah. A millionaire, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's he's on HBO, but it's still the same. Right. At the end of the day, it's like, you could go up. I Like, theoretically, a person who's doing it for the first time could go up and destroy. And then Seinfeld could go up and eat it. Right. And it's just like, right. you never know. You never know. I, and yeah. I, I think that's why I love stand-up so much. It, it, it's one of those things. I played baseball for 15, 15 years, and I was good, never great, but stand-up was something that immediately I was like, oh, that, I, could, I can do this. Yeah, you have the personality for it, too. And I mean, I think, you know, I hear so much shit at school, like, oh, you're not funny. You don't, but I'm like, well, then why did I just do a show with, you know, why did I just do a show with you or why did I do a show with someone who's been yeah noted notable and actually good at this also if they if they only knew the history behind some of these stages that you're sharing the, the stage with with it's like the improv dude you're on a stage that I mean name them Robin Williams performs on yeah, yeah. all of the time you know, it's like, it's, they don't get it. It's, it's okay. like, I didn't remind you, I was like, that's cool, but can you make money doing this? Like, how are you going to, like, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. You know, can I make money doing this? Russell Peters has four mansions. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is all he does. Yeah. He's, now, he's a producer and stuff now, but yeah. You know that show on Netflix, um, Hip Hop Hip Hop Evolution? Yeah, that's him, right? He's the executive producer. Though. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that there's about what we do. They don't realize it could branch out into other things. Right. Like what you're doing right now. Podcasting. Yeah. Podcasting. Dude, podcasts are the new TV shows. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like if I was able to get on Rogan's podcast, that's like doing the tonight show back in the eighties. Oh yeah. It will fucking launch your career. Yeah. You know, I, buddies of mine have hugely successful podcasts because they went on Rogan Santino. Oh Yeah. He tours with them and he goes, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy well, what it is. That's what going, I just remembered a story that happened to me. You were saying like these history of these stages. The first time I ever did the improv was on Campanelli's show back. I was, I was 16 and uh, I was, op- I was hosting the 1030 Sunday show. I'm standing next to the, the sound guy and I'm like, I'm really nervous. Cause you know, I'm 16, I'm doing the improv. Right. 
Right. It's amazing. And the, right before the guy calls my name, like on the mic, he turns to me, he goes, oh, by the way, Seinfeld was just on this stage. Go. And I'm like, you're telling me, a person who's like two years into stand-up, that my hero just right. performed, and now the next person is me? That's crazy. It's like, you know, I had a really, I had a great set, and you know, John keeps bringing me back, which is, I'm really thankful for, but it's like one of those things where it's just like, oh my God, that was, that's so nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. It was, I remember following Chris Rock at the improv one night when wow. I was pretty I was pretty new and it was such a surreal thing because he's coming across, he's doing this. I'm following him. I get on stage and I look into the audience and in the back of the room are those giant fucking pictures of comedians and Chris Rock. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> and then he ended up staying in the room and watching my set and talked to me afterwards. It was really cool. He's a cool guy from what I've heard. I've heard good stories yeah. about him. Yeah. So I got a few more questions and then we can wrap this up. This is more about, you know, what's your, what's your writing process like when you write a joke? I'm not really a joke writer. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more of a observational comedian. Uh, I, I will observe something during my day and kind of put my, and just kind of think about how dumb it is to me or like watching my kids do what they do or, and, and, and then I just start talking about it on stage. I write on stage. Okay. I do all my writing on stage. And the thing is, people are like, how do you remember all that stuff? I'm like, I didn't make it up. It all happened. Right. Like, this isn't something I made up in my head and go, okay, remember that. Write it down. I'm just talking about shit that happened. Uh, there's a comedian named Steve Trevino. I don't know if you know. Steve. I know Steve, yeah. He said, the, said it perfectly on stage one night. We were doing a gig in Vegas. And he said, somebody comes up to me and tells me, man, uh, I really like your jokes. He goes, jokes? He goes, this is a fucking documentary. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's basically what my stand-up is. If you listen to me, you know, it's a documentary of my life. Right. About my kids and traveling and all the shit I actually do. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy lifestyle that, you know, stories come out of 100%. I have not written a single joke down in 13 years. Wow. I don't have a joke book. Oh, really? I, yeah, I don't either. I just write everything down. What I do is I'll take a premise and I'll write it down. And then I just kind of, on stage, I'll elaborate it. And then I'll go back and write it and try to find where jokes are and yeah. things like that. But it's, I'm pretty similar because, you know, my whole perspective is I'm a kid. Yeah. So, like how you do it with your, you're talking about being a father. Everybody knows what it was like to be an 18 year old. You know, everybody knows what it was like to be a kid. So yeah. that's, kind of my perspective of how I think I'm more universal than other comics because I can talk about anything. Like my big thing right now is talking about um, school plays. When your kid was in the school play, mm -hmm. I got cast as the grass one year to, to play the grass. Right. That's kind of my thing. That's good. That's yeah. good. But so you're talking, like, and, and you're talking about something so universal because everyone that still exists at one point was an 18 year old kid, you know? Like that's so relatable. Yeah. Well, like my, and my big thing right now is, you know, with this, with this quarantine, I live in the suburbs, everybody's walking with their dogs. I didn't realize I had such, I didn't realize I was the ugliest neighbor, you know? <laughs> so like, Dude, that's, and there's me, my point of view on this quarantine. I'm getting pissed at why is what the fuck is everybody doing out here? You know, why, why are all of you out here? Right. Go home, yeah. Know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for what happens when, 
What? Where do you live? I live in Tarzana. Yeah, you're in the valley. So I go to the valley every every other day to do my podcast with Brent, and it's like crazy. Like the val the valley, Santa Monica, Hollywood. It, like they didn't act like there was a quarantine. People right. were just roaming the fuck around. I live down here in, in Lakewood, which is near Long Beach, California. Right. It's a small little suburb. I mean, there's barely anybody walking around. I love it. Yeah. It's like my age too. The less people, the better. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we got to flatten it so that we can get back in the clubs and things like that. And we can start, you know, being people again. Dude, I can't wait to do stand up. I, I miss it so freaking much. Have you done any of like the online shows? Oh, I'm not going to do that. Me either. I'm not going to do that. I've been asked. It's just, no. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe if I didn't have my podcast just to keep myself from losing my mind, I would. Mm -hmm. But knowing me the way I know me, I would have done the podcast anyways. I would have figured it out, you know? Right. But that doing the podcast with Brent is keeping my comedy muscle exercised. Yeah. You know, keeping me in shape comedically because I'm with one of the, arguably one of the funniest guys in the country sitting right next to me. And then we got Will, who's a comic. That's what I love also that my producer's a comedian. Right. Me and Brent, very adamant about that. I was like, we, I don't want to have a non-comedian in this room. And I want somebody that we have rapport with. And that we can bust his balls and make fun of him. And then he'll eventually get a thicker skin and make fun of us back. And that's basically what's happening. Yeah. But the fact that I have the podcast is what's keeping me. I, I, those online shows, Club Nowhere or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Hey, Club Nowhere. Nope. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I like, yeah, I've watched a few of them because, you know, buddies have been like, here's the link. It's free. And I'll go, all right, I'll watch and see what's happening. How's that? It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bombing with material that you know works. It's just yep. like, it's, it's the only thing that it would do for me, I think, is hurt me because it's just me talking with bits that I know. I wouldn't work out material. Needs live audiences. That's yeah. the only way it fucking works. And people online, even though they're watching, it's going into their head that he just said that thing and no one's laughing. Yeah. Then it'd be funny. Right. I mean, yeah. It's, it's like an energy thing that you're missing, but I, I guess, and I know what a lot of those guys are doing. It's they're trying to make some money and I get that. I mean, we all need to figure out a way to do that during this thing, but yeah, I, I can't be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the, like what I know about me and I know I need to grow as a standup in this is that if I know, I have a joke that I know works and it doesn't on a show like that makes my, you know, my head go, well, maybe I need to rethink that joke when that's not true. It's just, you know, right. delivered it wrong or something like that. But like, if I would have, if I were to do five to six of these shows a week, I would just lose all my material because I'd be like, well, this isn't working. Then, then the quarantine opens up and the clubs open up and you, you go on stage and you're the worst comic. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just lose all my, all my talent, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a clip of, uh, Trev uh, 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 what's his name? Noah. What's his name? Uh, Trevor. Trevor Trevor Wallace. Oh, Trevor Wallace. Yeah. That kid doing it. And I'm like, the kid's funny. He's good. The kid's funny. Why is he doing this? Yeah. He's a funny kid. And like, it's like, I love that Craig's doing it. I'm like, what? And I'm in a group text with a bunch of comics. And we're like, why is Craig doing that? He's famous. Right. I got all the money ever. He doesn't need to be doing this. So I'm like, I guess it's really cool that he's doing it. And maybe with these comics that are going in there. Yeah. They hit me up yesterday. A buddy of mine, a really good friend of mine, is uh, one of the uh, one of the, one of one of the two executives at the at the Laugh Factory now. 
Okay. And uh, they hit me up to ask me if I wanted to do it. And I said, no, nah, man. Yeah. But then he, was, then he was like, so cool. He was like, yo, you know, I'm running this place. So anything you need, I'm like, yeah. So we'll be good when the quarantine's over. But like, I don't want to. Yeah, because that's the last actually was the one. Thing, I don't go to the huh? That's another thing. I don't want to have to go to the Laugh Factory to do it. Right. That why? No, that's gonna break my heart. It's gonna make me so depressed. You know? Yeah. To not see a line, to not see faces in the audience. And Laugh Factory is one of the few clubs where you could see the audience from the stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how the other guys are doing it. That Club Nowhere or whatever the heck. Yeah, I think they're doing it through Zoom or something like that. Yeah, like that comedy gives back thing that went that they did. A bunch of people did it. Like big names did it. Russell did it. Joe did it. Do you watch any of it? I watched. Yeah, I watched Bert when he was with Brutal. Sam. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Like it doesn't work, and I, I hope that they raise money and stuff. But man, I, it's just brutal. Yeah. What What bothers me so much is that I was, uh, I was at the Laugh Factory, and I was like about to get up to have like a showcase for some of the producers and the bookers, and then we got the hit with the quarantine, and it was like ah, you know, gotta wait, gotta wait a few more months. Oh, that's rough. And by then you're gonna you're gonna be in New York. Yeah, so that's kind of the issue is that hopefully when I come back to LA, they'll be like, oh yeah, we remember you. Come on. Are you getting like, are you staying on campus or what are you doing? You got a place? So they have four different like apartment buildings that they made oh. their own. What kind of a school is it? It's a, it's a liberal arts school. So I'm going, I'm in a major where I kind of, it's called the liberal arts major and I get to choose my own classes and make my own kind of degree. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm doing psychology and writing. Purely for stand-up. Cool. It's like, it's like build a bear for. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, I want to do psychology so I can learn how people think. So maybe you know, I can write way. I can do writing to make people think differently. That's so smart. That's I kind of had that advantage because teaching martial arts to children and adults and people with special needs, you learn a lot about the the psyche of people, like how people think, and that 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 was such so helpful for me to get it to just get into stand-up smoothly yeah so i mean i'm and i'm excited because they say you know my thought is i'll have had i'll have four years of doing stand-up in la and then i'll have four years in new york i'll be eight years in and i'll get to choose what i want to do nice yeah so and then what you're going to do is stand up yeah and you know whether i choose to be in la or new york or if i have a show at that point or if i get snl you know because that's what i'm going for right now we'll see what happens and nice you got your characters ready I got three that I'm developing right now and I'm doing my, I have my impressions. I'm working with, do you know Jonathan Kite at all? Yeah. So I love Kite, Yeah. Kite is a big, he's helping me so much with like Robert Downey Jr. And, he's a good and yeah, he's a great guy. Oh man. I like, I've always liked that guy. We've always gotten along really well. Yeah. So then I guess before we wrap this up, I got one more question for you and I, I ask every guest this, but, uh, what and it's kind of corny, but what advice would you give to a stand-up who's young, a stand-up who's wanting to try it, or someone who's just who's like you know two years in and needs to wants to learn? It's so simple, man. There's no real secret. You know, my advice is always just keep doing it. Just it's like martial arts. I I use martial arts a lot. I would tell my students they would get their just get their asses handed to them. And I said, and they were like, how, how do I get better? And I said, it's, it's simple. The secret is so simple. Just show up to your next class. And that's what it is to stand up. No matter how bad you think you did, just show up to the next mic. Just show up to the next show and just keep getting on stage. Because it's like anything. The more you do it, 
the more you do it, the easier it is, the better you get at it. But that's the only advice I have. If it's something you really want to do, do it all the time. You know, there's no thing as a part-time comedian. You're just doing it. It's just a hobby. It's, that's like people that go to karaoke. Right. You know? But if you really, 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 really want to do it, uh, that's my thing. The secret is keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Jason. I really appreciate it. You got it, buddy. And then if there's anything you want to promote, you know, the podcast and all that stuff, just yeah. let me know. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Jason Collings, of course, on all that stuff at Jason Collings. And then more importantly, uh, podcasts, The Lion's Den with Brent Moore and Jason Collings. Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or anywhere else you get podcasts. It's literally on all of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, The Lion's Den with Brent Moore and Jason Collins. And I recommend checking it out. It's a great podcast. It's really entertaining. Oh, we have a blast. Yeah. All right, bud. Proud of you, man. You're killing it. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.